Coming to you live from the second bedroom of Shane's apartment. This is the Shane and Scuba Steve podcast. It's a Wednesday, my dudes. It is a Wednesday. Yes, it is. How is your Wednesday treating you so far? Good, although I'm a little sad. I just realized this might be our last Wednesday recording for a while. That is true, because what we'll talk about later in the rundown has come to an end for now. It has. Days is over. Yes. But who knows? Maybe we'll find something new to make us have to record on Wednesdays. Oh, you mean like Monsters, Inc., the TV show? Yeah. Monsters at work? Yeah. Have you watched it yet? No. You haven't? No, I haven't. No, I haven't. Have you? Yeah. No, no. And? I've watched like half of it. I've watched either the first episode or half of the first episode. Oh, okay. (laughs) You don't know if you've watched it or not? I got got sidetracked. Yeah. All right. I'll I'll give you it Uh, for now. I'll give you an uh, an exemption. I want to report. True. You got me on that one. Okay. You know, uh, do as I say, not as I do. but it hey. does have an all-star cast for a for, for, a, for a, 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 Disney a Disney show. show. Yeah, a Disney show which has billions and billions of dollars of resource to put into it. True, true. Yeah. But like Ben Felmond mm-hmm. is the main character. He's uh, he was in a bunch of things, but he was also oh, he's Jonah in the Superstore. That's why his name is familiar. But he was also in Silicon Valley as the lawyer, which is a yep. great character for him. Mindy Kaling's in it. Mm-hmm. Henry Winkler. Ooh, the Fonz. John Ratzenberg comes back to play the Yeti. Of course. Aisha Tyler. This is a great, this, there's a lot here. Yeah. I'm going to finish watching it, I promise. I hope so, because I don't want our listeners to be devastated that you give it up on it. I mean, no one's going to be devastated about monsters at work. Mm, who knows? Sure. Maybe it ends really, really, like, sad. It could. Isn't this like the first Pixar TV show? Uh, yes. It, yes, TV show. They've done a few like uh, holiday shorts. I know there's like a Toy Story Halloween and I think like a Toy Story Christmas type thing. Yeah. And actually there might be like a Monsters, Inc. one as well. But it is the first uh, TV show. <laughs> Unless you want to count uh, Buzz Lightyear of Star Command. That's not animated. And Pixar actually didn't work on it, but it's the same character. Well, it's actually not the same character. It's well, it is. Mm, it's complicated. I actually watched a uh, little like mini documentary about like the creative director of that show and how like he's like, oh, we had all these ideas, and then Pixar was like, no, Toy Story two is coming out, and none of, none of the stuff you just did makes any sense, so they like, cut out all that. And they're like, uh, okay, I think it's funny. Yeah. So it actually looks like um, technically, mm-hmm. they Pixar isn't really involved with the TV shows. What? Oh my god. I hope everything's okay. Well, I think it's just like how it works. I hope I there's not like, falling out. Have you seen Luca yet? No, but I have seen an interview with Jim Gaffigan talking about Luca. So, I mean. It's good. You should watch it. I should? Yeah, I, I would highly recommend that you, you take a look at it. Um, how many thumbs do you give it up? Are you four out of five thumbs. Wow, where are those extra thumbs coming from? I got toes, man. That's where I got four of them. Mm-hmm. The fifth wh- one's your imagination. Oh, oh, wow. Is that the message of the movie? 
No, surprisingly, <sighs> it's not. Eh, dang it! But it's a good movie. It's a great Pixar movie. Great heartwarming film. Mm-hmm. Um, takes place in Italy, which is awesome because you know Italy just won the twenty twenty Euro on Sunday. It's four great. minutes. Four minutes it took into yep. this recording for yep. you to mention it that Italy won. Four minutes. Uh, yeah, it was a great thing. Uh, I was at a bar in my, like in seaport and in my neighborhood mm-hmm. uh we were hosting some folks and the bar was just playing red Sox reruns mm-hmm. and i was trying to like i like i don't want to go to a bartender but like, can you please put on this like soccer game that you might have a cha- the channel for like i was like looking for like a manager type figure to be like hey please and then a bunch of like people wearing italy soccer jerseys walked in and it was like five minutes left in mm-hmm. extra time and i was like oh this is a good sign and then they turned the game on, and it was great. Because I was killing my phone battery just scrolling Twitter for, like, active updates of yep. the game. But it was a beautiful thing. Italy won in PKs, which is awesome. I mean, yeah. if that's what you wanted to have happen. Or you wanted England to, to bring it home? Uh, a little bit, kind of. But mostly because I saw the one clip after they scored of uh, Prince William and his son and Kate, like, super excited. And it was like, I feel like that's the most genuine he's ever been. And, True. like, that that alone was, like, Oh, now I hope they win. Just so, like, little Prince George can be like, Father's happy. Ah, ah, ah. We're not just these monarchs. We we can be people who enjoy sports. But but did you see the picture of them when they lost? Oh, yeah, no. And then they're all, like, okay. very dour. Yeah, they're like, don't don't look like we're very angry about losing, but, you know, we are. Okay. Mm-hmm. Did, did uh, that bring you more joy than the first one? Because it brought no. me more joy. No, not at all, because I could see, because that's, I felt bad for them, because that is just like, ugh, like, they don't, you know, like, any other fan can be like, what the god, losing their mind, but they're like, okay, there's a billion cameras on us right now, and if I uh, even look ex- at all angry, uh, I will be uh, ridiculed and uh, deemed a horrible leader, even though I'm not even a leader of uh, my people. True, I can understand that being a problem, considering yeah. that the English fans are also super racist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, terrible people. In the sports world, let's go with let's uh you know cap that a little bit. For I now mean, yeah, that. but I think there's yeah, it's it's a European soccer has been has been historically known to be fairly racist. Yes, it's like it's well it's well it's a well documented thing. But every time you see it happen, like a mo- like today's day and age, it's like really like really like why kind of thing, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Italy won the 2020 Euro. I'm not sure why we're calling it the 2020 Euro. I, is it because of COVID? Because, uh, yeah, I don't think they had one last year. Ah, so it would have been, and they just didn't rename it. Mm-hmm. That's like how uh, people were sent uh, commemorative cups for the Home Run Derby and the All-Star Game, but they said on them Atlanta because it was originally supposed to be in Atlanta, but then they, of course, moved it when Atlanta was like, we're going to make it tougher for people to vote. Yep. And then the MLB was like, well, we're going to leave then. Uh, yeah, don't do that. This is your chance not to do it. And then Atlanta's like, we're gonna. And they're like, all right, uh, see you later. Goodbye. Yeah. Did you that watch uh, the All-Star Game or the Home Run Derby? I didn't watch. Actually, I didn't watch either. Um, I was, I watched some highlights from the Home Run Derby. Mm-hmm. But I didn't catch any of the All-Star Game. I didn't watch the All-Star Game. I did watch the Derby for uh, Shohei Otani. Uh, to because he's been just, you know, killing it this entire season. And he yep. did 33 home runs against Soto and then lost out against him, uh, which I was just thinking as soon as he got knocked out, I was like, I wonder how many people just lost money because a lot because he, he was predicted to win it all because he's in the lead for home runs in the, in the entire league, if I'm not mistaken. 
with 33 at the moment. Yeah, I did see um, there was like an over-under bet for long, like how long a home run would be, the mm-hmm. longest home run. Yeah. And it was like 519 and a half feet was mm-hmm. the, like the line, and someone hit one 520 feet exactly. Yeah. I think there was also, like, during the batting practice, a couple even went further. But, like, of course, those don't get, don't get counted. But, like, just ridiculous. Ugh. We're at a great point in the sport. Yeah. Shall we, uh, should we dive in? Please. Let's. So, we have, like, three pseudo-trailers of the week this week. Mm-hmm. We're trying to hit them rapid fire. Yep. We're going to start with uh, just a full trailer for what it is. Yep. Animated TV anthology series. Just letting you know, you did not put in our rundown that it's what if dot 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 question mark. It's not just what oh, if. Sorry. Yeah. How could I be so? I just want to. So callous. forgetful. Or am I being callous? I'm being the one being callous. I, I just added it to the rundown, so it's historically preserved now as the. I appreciate title. it. Thank you. Good. 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 It deserves the respect. But yeah, we got our first trailer for What If, which will be an animated series, essentially telling you exactly what the title is. What if this happened? What if that happened? Uh, I think it's going to be narrated by uh, The Watcher, who will be voiced by... Uh, Jeffrey Wright. Thank you. I was going to say Jeffrey Combs, but I believe that's a Star Trek actor. It is a Star Trek actor. Very great actor who played tons of different characters, but that's a side note. Um, but yeah, in this uh, trailer, we get to see a little bit more of some storylines. We've known there's going to be the Peggy Carter as Captain America... Uh, we've known that we will have uh, a zombie cap uh, episode. We now get to see a little bit more of uh, T'Challa as Star-Lord and him meeting up with the Guardians. Uh, it looks really interesting. The animation style, I'll admit, is not my favorite. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, but I lo- just the concept of the show I really like. And another thing in the trailer that I didn't like... I, I can't blame them. Like, this is no one's fault, really. But Robert Downey Jr. does not voice his version of Tony Stark in the animated show. And I noticed it, like, immediately. Because, like, they start with the same of, like, Iron Man 1 and drove, like, ah, peace. Yeah, peace. I'd be out of, out of business. And, like, that's not Robert Downey Jr. So it turns out, and this is just from, like, what's been figured out, is mm-hmm. that, like, Steve Rogers isn't going to voice him, voice... Chris Evans, mean. Chris Evans won't voice Captain Captain America. The Collectors actor Tanelier Tavon won't voice won't be the voice. Um, Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh wait, no, Tanelier Tavon's the collect the actual collector. Um, I forgot who played him. Benicio del Toro. Thank you. Yeah, not a problem. I was like, yeah, you had, I, yeah. It's I'm reading something that's like crossed up right now. Yep. Um, Benedict Cumberbatch won't be voicing Doctor Strange. He like, isn't. No, not oh. according to this. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought he was at least uh, returning to voice it. I will kind of give Chris Evans a uh, some leniency because he's that's scrawny Steve. So at least like uh, you can the voice can kind of be anything. Like, but if it were Cap, Cap, then it's like no, I want Chris Evans voice on that. Yes, but, but of course that's me splitting hairs because it's just like Robert Downey. Why won't you return? Why won't you just do Iron Man forever? But yes, we got our first trailer. Uh, you excited for the show? I think it's gonna be cool. It's gonna be nice to watch. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, to me, this like has no direct impact on the greater MCU. Well, see, I have. We'll talk about it further in the rundown when we talk about. Um, I don't. I don't want to spoil it without giving away things. But I think it will have some impact. So we can double back really? to this in a little bit. Yeah. Okay. All right. But do you have a preemptive score for what if Marvel's what if? 
I don't only because I think it's going to be hard to score because and it's like an anthology. So each one's going to be kind of siloed. I think, but at the same time in the trailer, we see Dr. Strange talking to Captain Peggy Carter. So part of me feels like all of these will actually connect somehow. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I think this will be, once it gets moving, who knows? But I, that's what I picked up from the trailer was like, ooh, I think they actually are all going to like intersect at one point, but who knows? It's possible. What if? What if they all intersect? That'll be the there last episode. Is. There it is. What if they're all in the same world anyway? Yeah. But um, I think I'll give what if I'll because you're not going to grade it. I will. I'll give it a preemptive. Uh, ooh, excuse me. Uh, I'm going to like six out of ten. Scott Lang's head in a jar. That was a weird one. Yeah, that definitely threw me off seeing them in the trailer. But I was just like, all right, hey, what if any anything can happen in this show? It really can. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's that's what if dot 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 question mark. Thank you for uh, making sure that question mark's involved. Um, next on a rundown of trailers, we got uh, the French Dispatch, Wes Anderson's uh, latest. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of a fancy word to use to describe. I don't want to say film, and I don't want to say flick. I'm trying to think of in pictures uh, too. Uh, not nice. <laughs> trying to think of a nice word i could use to describe what he calls his uh creation a west anderson creation uh i don't think so uh dang it but this is the latest uh film it uh stars benicio del toro adrian brody uh timothy chalamet bill murray of course will be a part of it jeffrey wright uh tilda swinton swinton uh which this was just had a premiere in cons the other day is it cons or cans cans Wait, oh, is it con? Con? I think it's con. I think I believe it also is con. See, you know, what I'm thinking back to is like how do you, how did they pronounce it in a entourage? It's yeah, con. No, it's con. Okay. Con. Um, but this just premiered there, and they got a nine minute standing ovation. Which, when that happens, when I hear when because I think the Joker also got like something crazy, like a seven or nine minute. Okay, but I'm just like, who like. No, I'm done clapping after like a minute. I'll give you a minute, but like when it gets to nine minutes, that's when I'm like, okay, everyone, like, was it that good? Oh, I see. That's the thing. I have like no, I don't know what, I don't know what. That that would be awkward for me. Yeah. What do you do? What do you do clapping for nine minutes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and especially if you're like one of the people who's like, no, I like the movie. Yeah, but you're minute three, and you're just like, everyone's still going. Like, no, I'm done. My hands hurt. I, no, we gotta. We have other movies, guys. But, so uh, we're actually running late for the next one. Yes. Um, but the movie's been described as a love letter to journalists set in the outpost of American newspaper fictional 20th century Finch City. Um, I like Wes Anderson. I like all of his films. I've had very little uh, research into this movie, uh, but that's also because this was when was supposed to originally release, probably in 2019. Um, and that got pushed back because of COVID and everything like that. So. I'm just excited because Wes Anderson, he's got his own style. You can very obviously see, you can take one frame of his movies and you can just go, yeah, no, that's Wes Anderson right there. They're just very aesthetically pleasing. Very aesthetically pleasing. And everything's centered. Everything is right where you need it to be. Nothing's off in the side like, oh, did you miss it? Ah, dang it. No. He, he, if he wants you to see something, you'll see it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, I'm having my drink of the week, which is Captain and Coke. 
Oh, nice. I have uh, water with lemon. Ah, wow. You should add some uh, Captain or Coke to that. I should. I, so I, I like do have. I don't have Captain, but I have other rums. But oh, uh, what is your favorite Wes Anderson movie? Ooh. <sighs> it's a tie between the Royal Tenenbaums and the Darjeeling Limited. Those two, okay. I think, are fantastic. Uh, I sometimes lean a little bit more tar- towards Darjeeling Limited just because that was Owen Wilson after uh, he did this kind of dark, but like it was after he attempted suicide. And like in the movie, they kind of addressed it. And I just felt like they, I think it was a great way for him to kind of express how he was feeling during that afterwards. It's just a really great cast. I, that one I really enjoy, I think, okay. the most. You? So I, I'm a big fan of Moonrise Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, big, big fan. Yep. And I'm also partial to The Life Aquatic, which was the first um, Wes Anderson film I saw. Yeah, that, that's also really great. Blockbuster <laughs> rental. <laughs> Why am I always the leader of B-Team? Why can't I be on A-Team? I put you in charge of B-Team because I trust you. It's because I have so much respect for you. <gasps> oh, okay. B-Team, let's go! Yeah. Uh, I always... Life Aquatic, I kind of forget about sometimes. It's in uh, Bottle Rocket. I don't actually... I don't know if I heard I haven't seen Bottle Rocket, which is also uh, like what launched Owen and his brother's career, Owen Wilson's career. Yeah, and West too. It's pretty much what got them all going. Yeah, um, which maybe you know I should probably sit down and watch Bottle Rocket sometime. Right, now. but I feel like if I watch watch it, I'll be like, oh, this is like very early on. Like it won't be as niche Wes Anderson as he is now. So it'll be like, like is this Wes Anderson? Did he even direct this thing? I don't think he was a part of this. I still actually haven't seen the Grand Budapest Hotel. What? Yeah, you okay? You gotta watch that. Oh my god, I know. it's so good. It's I know. that, like, that definitely is just a great film in itself. And it, it, it's not my favorite Wes Anderson film, but that's like not even like anything against him or the product itself. I just like the other two a little bit more. But it's it's great, man. Oh my god, and oh, Ray Fiennes kills it in his role as Gustav H. Ah, oh. ah, oh. in a. Uh, Flash Thompson from the new Spider-Man movies. He plays Zero in the movie. That was his big break. Good to know. Yeah. Good to know. Wes yeah. Anderson does also like pull from the same cast pool very frequently. Yes. Every, I think pretty much every single person except for Timothy Chalamet has been in one of his movies uh, before. And Bill Murray has always spoken about like if he gets a call from Wes and like before he even says anything he'll be like yeah I'll do it. Like whatever you want because it's either going to be a leading role and he'll be there all week or he it's like hey can you come to, down for a day like i can do your shots in a day so yeah pretty great yeah so what do you what are you gonna give a fresh french dispatch preemptively based on the trailer which is the tra- the first look between tilda swinton and timothy chalamet mm-hmm. i'm also gonna give it like a an eight out of ten. Eight out of ten what Ooh, manif- wet manifestos. Okay, okay, I can get, I can be it. Okay. Yeah, eight out of ten wet manifestos. You know what? I think I'm also going to go with the eight out of ten, but I'm going to go eight out of ten um, bicycles made out of French horns because I feel like just, just that's just something uh, you know Wes Anderson would do. Also, always forget about it. Uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. That's great. Yep, I love dogs as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. <sighs> what an auteur. He is an auteur. That's the that's the best word to put it. Ah, uh, yes, an auteur. Can you spell auteur off the top of your head? That uh, looking. 
Uh, ooh, good question. It's A U T U E R. Correct. You're oh, you're fantastic. I'm so proud of you. Wait, how did I spell it? A U T E U R. You got it. Oh, but, yeah. I thought I said the U first. Actually, I think you did. But yeah. but my we were close. Auto, we were very close. my autocorrect was just showing me like I know you meant Shane and Scuba. We got it. Yeah. Yeah. Actually. But, uh, what? Wes Anderson what? is the recipient of one of our favorite film festival awards. Do you remember what the award is? I know it's the... Oh, he won a Biff. He won a Biff. The Berlin International Film Festival. Yep. He won a bear. Oh, my God. He has a bear? Oh. Why, a why bear. did we start this off by saying the latest Biff award-winning director's film, The French Connection? I feel, I feel disrespectful that we didn't mention that he won a Biff. Yeah, he won a Biff in 2018 for Isle of Dogs. He biffed it. He biffed hey. it, man. Yeah. Wait, really? He won it for Isle of Dogs? Yeah. Uh, what was the category? Was it just best directing or best animated? Best director. Really? Wow. I'm kind of shocked. Like, that's what he won it for. Yep. Hmm. We also played more Wes Anderson trivia. trivia. Do you know where he met Owen Wilson? Uh, I want to say school, but that feels too cliche. So I'm going to say, like, at a bar? Uh, nope. They were roommates. In college at UT Austin. Awesome! It was school. Oh, it God. was school. Uh, do you got any other trivia ones I can get right and then get wrong at the same time? <laughs> um. Oh, I got one for you. Yeah. I can't. It's not really a question. It's more just a fact because I, if I were to like phrase it as a question, you'd be like, I have no idea. Um, in the Royal Tenenbaums, Ben Stiller's character at one point shows his hand and he has a BB lodged in it. From and they say that his father shot into his hand. That's Wes Anderson's brother's hand, and that's a real BB in his hand that's stuck there. Oh wow! Yeah. Ouch. Yeah. That seems like it would hurt. Well, it's like in between the knuckles and like the webbing. So like. Yeah, but still, it still seems like it would hurt. I from what like interviews I've seen, like he just says like it doesn't hurt. It's just more like he just every time he closes his hand, like he can just feel it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that. Gross. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's it is disgusting. And also by by this point in both of their careers, it's like, dude, just go to a hand surgeon and just be like, yeah, can you pop this out? Let's get this over with. Yeah, that or like have too many glasses of wine and just do it yourself. No, that's when you mess up tendons. You got to go to a hand surgeon. I get, if it's that, if you it's know that how complicated, deep in there. the human hand is, man. It's insane. You ever? Well, that's the thing. I like sometimes think about this. You ever just like wiggle your fingers and like look at the top of your hand? Oh yeah, terrifying. Oh yeah, it's horrible. I was like, it was a Mythbusters episode, and they're like building a robot, and Adam Sav- Savage is like, so everyone might be wondering, why aren't we making it with hands? Let's go, do you know how tough it is to make a hand, even like a simple robot hand? No, I'm not doing this. I'm, it gets claws. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it gets claws. Yeah, no, seriously. Yeah. But that's the French Dispatch. Uh, and our final trailer of the week, our trio of trailers for the week. Trio of trailers. Ooh, good yes. one. Thank you. Um, is Pixar's latest film, Turning Red, which is about a young girl who, when she gets really overwhelmed, turns into a giant red panda, which is one of the cutest animals around, which is like a raccoon meets a panda meets a rabbit. Yeah, basically. Um, yep. Uh, the trailer was released the other day. Not much of the trailer other than just learning that's essentially the plot, that when she gets emotional or whatnot, she turns into a giant uh, red panda. Uh, I love the animation style of this. It's It looks very similar to that of uh, Luca, where it's like almost like it's claymation or whatnot, but just looks 
fantastic. Sandra O oh is attached. She's playing the mother of uh, the young girl named May. Yeah. Um, and that's really all that we know about it. But neat concept. I, honestly, I feel maybe it was like four or five years ago, maybe a little bit longer, like tons of gifts and memes of like red pandas like pop oh yeah they're adorable and this is probably exactly when they started production of this they're like okay how do we jump on this we're not going to be able to get it out for a few years but we gotta do something with red pandas and it's like oh what if a girl turns into a red panda boom the money's already printing guys yeah i think i think it looks great Mm. i'm wondering pixar has been on like a long journey with like emotions in movies especially teaching young kids emotions which is pretty interesting Mm mm-hmm I'm glad they're going to address anger in this manner, or anger, frustration, stress yep. in this manner. Yep, and I think it'll also uh, deal with because in the trailer and what we learned from they tell in the synopsis, uh, her mother, played by Sandra O, oh, is very overprotective, and I feel like that'll be also part of the story. Is like teaching parents, like you, at one point you have to let your kids like do it themselves. You have to take a step back. Um, Agreed. Agreed. Which, of course, is very difficult. Um, you know, of course, you, you care for the kid. You you want to do everything you can to protect them. And I like in the trailer, like the security guards, like, "Hi, Miss. Like, uh, what can I do?" And she goes, "My my daughter goes here. Everything's fine. Walk away." And he's like, "Uh, no. Like, if you just want to come with me, like, I can get checked in. We can do a... no, no, no. My daughter, my daughter's right there." Which I've seen many parents like that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm fortunate enough that my parents are like, nah, you can just head on out. It's fine. He'll be okay. Eh, maybe. Who knows? Hey, on your way out, can you grab the mail and put it back in? Cool, cool, cool. Thanks. So do you want to give Turning Red a rating? Excuse me. Yeah, I think I'll give it... Um, I'm going to give Turning Red a preemptive... I'm going to go 7 out of 10 Cherry Blossom animated trees. Just because I feel... I don't think this will be, when this is released, this will be, like, the big, like, this is Pixar's best work. I think it'll just be good work. Okay. And that's why I'm kind of knocking it down. I think what's going to really, like, sell it will be, uh, like, it's animation. It, like I said, like, just the trailer. It looks really, like, fantastic and beautiful. It's, cra- it's crazy what they can do. Like, they can do something that's photoreal, like, with a, what was uh, Onward, even though, of course, they're, like, myth- mythical characters, but it's, like, everything else is, like, photoreal. This seems a little bit more cartoonish, but, like, it's just really interesting what they can accomplish with you will be stunned at luca when you when you watch it nope not now i'm not gonna be now i'm gonna make sure i'm not stunned at all hey that's fine but you're wrong <laughs> yeah well, what do you give uh turning red um i'm kind of I, I need to understand the plot a little bit more than like the brief synopsis like the very brief synopsis we have mm-hmm. like yeah. they don't see her turn into a red panda because no one really addresses it no, they, um, my my guess is like this is gonna be some weird like uh, family heritage thing where it's like it gets passed from generation to generation. When you yeah. hit puberty, you start to you know you got to be careful. You turn into a red panda, and uh, yeah, that's what I'm thinking it's gonna be. It's gonna be and it's gonna be like such a throwaway thing that they'd be like we, we just got to move past it so we can have this weird concept of a girl turning into a giant red panda. Okay, yeah, that that works. I'm With gonna Sandra give it a seven out of ten. Um, just like shitty elementary school children. They're the worst. Actually, no, middle school worst. kids are the worst. Yo, it's, it's this is like middle school. Yeah, this is, I'm I'm too far removed from the school system to understand age, but guessing it's probably middle school, if not 
early, early high school. Synopsis says she's a teenager, so it's middle school. Middle school it is. Yeah. yeah. But that's, a, that's my take on that. Wonderful. I appreciate your take. Thank you. I know you do. Yes. Well, those are our trailers of the week. Do you want to keep the show moving? Yes. yes. Let's talk uh, Mission Impossible Fallout. The final Mission Impossible in our Mission Impossible series. Yeah, there's a spelling error in our rundown, and I spelled it Fallout. 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 It's we were a, fast earlier. Like a shallot. Um, but yes, yeah, so this is the sixth film in the Mission Impossible series. No, they're working on the seventh. This is the sixth. They're working on the eighth. No, they're working on the seventh. One Dude. of us is right. Me. It's me. I, I'm 100% positive Mission Impossible Fallout is the sixth film. Because Ghost Protocol is sure? four, Rogue Nation is five, and Fallout six. They are in yeah, you are seven. right. Yeah. Why did I think there was eight of them? Because they're going to do eight. They've already greenlit the eighth. Oh, that's a pain in the ass. No, 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 no. That's a great thing. Because it was once Fallout was released, and now I can go into it. Chris McCory returned as director. He was the first time uh, director returning to the series. After Fallout was released, they announced they'll do seven and eight, and Chris McCory will be doing both of those. Which, that was when I was told. I was like, oh my god, that's crazy. I can't believe they're going to use the same director for all of it. But after watching Fallout, I go... Yes, please have Christopher McQuarrie have his hands on the wheel for the rest of this uh, wonderful journey. He's good at um, what he does. He's fantastic what he does because I feel like him and uh, Tom have – we've seen now in many interviews and everything, they have a great rapport. I think they both understand like what the other one wants and what the other one needs. Yep. Um, but Mission Impossible Fallout, we come back, we got most of the same cast. We got Benji. We got Luther. We got Ethan. We got some new characters. We got uh, – uh, Angela Bassett as the director of the CIA. We got Alec Baldwin returning uh, now as the secretary for the IMF. We have Henry Cavill as, oh, what's his name in this? I always forget. Uh, August Walker is his name. Great name, by the way. What a name. Yeah, you don't hear August as a first name a lot, but I remember after this movie being like, hmm, okay. Would uh, you name your kid August? I th- the only reason I don't think so is because August Olson, the like the AO, like uh, that's a little too much alliteration. I don't think I want uh, that for my my child. True, um, I understand that. Yes, Rebecca Ferguson returns. Uh, Sean Harris returns as the villain. Um, excuse me, uh, Solomon Lane and Vanessa Kirby joins uh, this film as White Widow, and she's. I don't believe they actually directly ever say that she's the daughter, but she's supposed to be the daughter of Max from the first Mission Impossible, the arms dealer. Oh, interesting. Yes. yes. Um, but quick synopsis of what Fallout is, and then we can go into our thoughts about it. Mission Impossible Fallout uh, has Ethan and his team lose uh, plutonium at the very beginning of the movie, and now it's a race against time, and the Apostles, who are the people that believed in Solomon Lane's vision as they try to create nuclear war on the Earth. Um, so what did you think of Mission Impossible Fallout? I thought it was really good. Mm-hmm. It, it continues that the more modernized series of the films that are like a little bit more in touch with like current action films, mm-hmm. definitely with like Christopher McQuarrie, like kind of t- like directing basically the last three of them. Two of them. He, he had done Rogue Nation. This was his second film and he'll be doing four Four uh, Ghost Protocol was uh, Brad Bird. Exactly. Thank you. Yes. So it keeps that it keeps that chain going. Yep. But it's also just a really good movie. Yes. A lot of great set pieces. Mm-hmm. A delicious cameo from Wolf Blitzer. Bitzer? <laughs> yeah, one of them. Wolf Blitzer. 
Wolf Blitzer, thank you. Yes. I'm all over the place this evening. Yeah, um, right. Yeah, I think it's incredible. One of one of the like a highlight set piece that I love is the helicopter chase, mm-hmm. which really calls back to the first one. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Um, I love this film. This one I can put on pretty much anytime, any place, anywhere, anywhere. Um, that's the same as any place. Uh, but like you said, yeah, the helicopter scene again, Tom Cruise taught himself how to fly helicopters for this movie. So I usually agree with all that. And like Tom Cruise doing that, but I feel like maybe he should learn from a helicopter pilot on how to fly no, a helicopter. He, no, he took lessons. Of course he oh, didn't he just... taught himself how to fly a helicopter. I don't know if he was just like him in his backyard. With like no, a, no, 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 no. A bell helicopter. No, that's poor phrasing on my part. He took lessons to learn how to fly a helicopter. He already knows how to fly planes. That's something he's known for years. Um, which I actually like that in the movie, they like make it out. They're like, does he know how to fly helicopters? Like, no, he can figure it out. Like, that's just Ethan Hunt. But like, that's what Tom Cruise did. He was like, okay, I want to have a scene with a helicopter. And he does it because he wants to have a camera in the helicopter to have great visuals. And yep. that whole scene going through the mountains is insane. And there's even a part where he does like a corkscrew dive in a helicopter. And both him and every single helicopter expert is like, that maneuver is like nearly impossible. Like, it's not something like, you should be doing multiple times because you need a lot of takes of it. But that's just Tom being like, okay, no, we'll do it. Okay, you have two, three copters over there that can get a lot of angles. I'll do it a couple times and then we'll call it a day. Um, but yeah, this, I re- this movie to me is like, I think this movie's perfect. It has fantastic pacing. Like you said, there's lots of set pieces. We go from uh, the opening shootout with the arms dealer, which I love uh, the line from him where the guy's like, he goes, I have a voice in my head, and it's always led me the right way, and I've never doubted it. But when I look at you, it tells me nothing. And Ethan just goes, tell the flip a coin. I'm here to do business. It's like, that's uh. <laughs> so good. We have that. We have the interrogation scene of the scientists in the hospital, which turns out to be a fake out with uh, the Wolf Blitzer and Benji wearing a mask, which Benji gets to wear tons of masks in this one, which is great. We have the halo jump, which once again was a real thing they did. Tom Cruise went up. They didn't shoot it at night over Paris. They shot over the desert, and that's all CG to fix uh, the, the background. But that was real. Like There's behind-the-scenes footage of the cameraman who's in front of Tom as he backs out of the plane to get Tom running out from the front of it. Just, just insane. Um, Henry Cavill joins the cast, and this has the infamous mustache, which uh, yep. messed up the Justice League. That's also a reason why I love this movie. It's just watching it for the mustache to be like... Just the mustache. No, seriously, because it's like that mustache... Pretty. The first cut of Justice League had many problems, of course, because the studio wanted to change everything that Zack Snyder uh, had envisioned. But like that mustache is what ruined pretty much everything with Superman in that movie, because so much of his stuff was reshot, but it had to be edited without a mustache. So I just love watching the movie for that. Um but yeah, and then we have the the club uh, bathroom fight scene, which is fantastic. So amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing I've seen that scene so many times now that I notice there's pa- there's like invisible padding on the floors and grounds. The floors and grounds are the same thing. Floors and walls. So every once in a while, if you watch closely, like when they push off of walls or the ground, it pushes in because it's like a pad. It's not actually. But oh, yeah. interesting. But that's you know some subtle uh, stunt work stuff for you. Uh, we have the, I guess, the heist when they're trying to kidnap uh, Solomon Lane, which leads into a motorcycle chase through Paris, which they actually did. Paris was like, 
Wait, Mission Impossible wants to shoot here? Yeah, well, yeah, you guys can come. Yeah, yeah, oh, make sure man. you get a lot of, yeah, get some great shots of Paris and the entire time you're like, yep, this all looks beautiful. Just really establish that you're in Paris. Yep. Uh, we have the foot chase in London where Tom Cruise in real life broke his ankle and they keep the clip in the movie where he broke his ankle. Which I think is insane. One, because like the man ran on a broken ankle to get that shot. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it, <laughs> Tom Cruise's desire to do all of his own stunts ends up delaying the movie in the end. Yeah, and that's also essentially what caused the mustache thing as well with uh, with uh, Justice League because the movie they went they like stopped production for like I think four or five weeks. It's already right there. It's like no, he should have been like in bed rest for like four yep. or five weeks, then started like PT. But Tom Cruise is like, okay, I'll start PT in like two weeks, and he did. And then he start he was doing his stunts again, but because that got pushed back, the reshoots got pushed back, and that's what caused Justice League to have to edit out a mustache. Um, but yeah, Tom Cruise just pushing through a broken eight. The fact that they keep the clip in, I think, is great. Um, oh, so good. Um, we have a sad moment where Alec Baldwin dies. How sad were you? How devastated were you when Alec Baldwin died? Not really. Mm-hmm. I'm not like super crazy about his character. Yep. But it happens. It does. Um, how did you feel uh, Solomon Lane is our first returning villain? What did you think about him in this movie as compared to in Rogue Nation? I liked him a little bit more in this movie because I felt like he was slightly more established after the first one. Mm-hmm. I think it really gives you that the establishment of what like the syndicate and then the remaining the apostles is. Yep. And you kind of already know what you're getting into. And mm-hmm. it's something I wish had happened with like Philip Seymour Hoffman's villain that there could have been more layers to it. Yep. And I think building upon this, this like, you know, and originally with like the syndicate, it was the the anti IMF, mm-hmm. which was just last like in our in the last movie. This kind of gives it that there is something against. It's not just the impossible mission force anymore. Yep. It's like there's a parallel situation that they have to work against each time. At mm-hmm. least in in this movie, and then we'll see what happens in Mission Impossible Seven and Eight. And Eight. Yes. Because um, it doesn't exist yet. Well, I mean, it, it's in the ether. It exists. It's, on paper. It, yes, uh, that's right. I wouldn't actually be shocked if Tom and Chris already have like it planned, like know exactly what they want to do for that last film. Um, but yeah, I enjoy uh, Lane a lot more in this movie. Because um, even though he's, we learned through this film that he's been passed around from country to country trying to get information out of him. Um, yep. I like that he still seems to know what's going on. He's still a step ahead of everybody. Um, he doesn't allow his circumstance to change his demeanor or his vision of what he wants to have happen. I think that's great. I think he does a really good job of still being intimidating um, because we have at the very beginning of the movie, the dream sequence with Ethan, Solomon, and uh, Julia doing their vows. And then later on, uh, Solomon like says the same line, like you should have killed me. And I like takes Ethan back a little bit. Yep. Which I remember when it was released, everyone was like, does does Solomon know what he's dreaming? I'm like, no, it's just a coincidence. Like it's just meant to like, make Ethan kind of like question it. Like he doesn't actually, Solomon Lane doesn't have psychic abilities to read dreams. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, I also like Rebecca Ferguson in this. She's back at the end of the last one. She was kind of led to be going out on her own, but now she's brought back in because she has to get Solomon. She either has to kill him or bring him into MI6. Um, and I like how Ethan and her handle this, where they both know they're on opposing sides yet. They both understand. They're both like, no, it's the job. Like, I get it. Like, 
when she shoots at him and he's just like, no, it's okay. Like, no, no, it's fine. Like, it's, all, it's all good. I get it. Yeah. Um, and I like that they, once again, they were building on that relationship that they built from the uh, last movie and then in this movie and then having Luther even like kind of explain what happened with him and Julia and like how Ethan feels about, uh, excuse me, uh, feels about Ilsa and him being like, he'll never tell you to go, but like, you have to go. Like, you can't be here. And then immediately she's like, I'm coming with you. It's like, oh, wow, you just really gave Luther the cold shoulder right there. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yep. We have the return in this movie of Michelle Moynihan's uh, Julia. Yep. Did you like having her in the final act? Uh, That extra little uh, bit of tension? Did you enjoy it? I thought it was good. I thought it was interesting. I think Mm -hmm. it was more... A, to me, it felt more like a convenience factor to the end, guilt, end goal of the bombs. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, she's there, but, like, if Ethan's there, he's, like, evaporated anyway. Yep. Vaporized, like, how, like, the bombs are going to go off, and he's, don't, like, you're in the blast zone. Yeah. So, I think it was interesting, but I also think at the same time, like, for whatever reason, my brain was like, wow, it's a really interesting problem to create if you explode the water supply of three countries. Yeah. A, a smart idea it's not just let's blow up a city let's blow up this landmark it's no like how do we have the biggest impact with the least amount of yeah. work no maybe not the least amount of work um but yeah uh really just like this movie west bentley plays the new husband um and i actually like him he they easy could have made him like a dick but he seems very genuine and i even like at the end of the movie with like when Ethan wakes up in the hospital bed, he's just like, hey, like, how's it going, man? Yeah, you have the whole Indian army behind you. All right, I'll catch you later, Doc. Like, he's, like, fully aware. He's like, this guy is definitely not a doctor. There's something going on with him, but I'm not going to. Yeah. Like, everything's good. Um, do you want some trivia about this movie? Uh, sure. A little trivia fact. At the very end, when the movie quite literally ends, you have Ethan in uh, a hospital bed and Ilse is there with him. And he kind of does, like, a smirk. And then the camera fades to white. What really happened was that day they ran out of film. That was the end of the film reel. And then they just like, oh, well, why don't we just go with this? Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, other little trivia. Simon Pegg got into crazy shape for this movie. Like he got like an eight pack making this movie. Yet Benji never needs to doesn't show it off. And that was just like a running gag behind the scenes was everyone's just like, um, and maybe should Benji take his shirt off in this scene? And Simon Pegg's like, I worked really hard for this. And they go, yeah, for no reason. Like, Benji doesn't need to be shredded. That's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, Angela Bass, uh, Bassett as Erica Sloan, the CIA director. Like her? I, I like her well enough. I don't, I don't really have a full, like, idea on her character. Yeah. I don't think she'll be returning um, for the next one as well because really? she remains... I don't think so. Mostly because at the end, there is no, we don't know who's taking over the IMF. I believe she's staying with the CIA. Um, also, just a, a line that I really do like, and it's not even like an important one, but I just always find it funny how Alec Baldwin delivers it, is when he talks about, he goes, I left the CIA for the IMF. Some people say it was a step down. Some say it was a lateral move. I'll, I now use that term, a lateral move, when I can, just from hearing, I'm like, I don't know what it is, but when Alec Baldwin says that, it just sounds very funny. Like, yeah. I'm glad to hear that you work in lateral move like that, just in case you need it during yeah. the day. It doesn't come up a lot, let me tell you that. But I made a, yeah, we made a lateral move and just changed bars. Yeah. You know, the usual. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's a great example of how to use it. Yeah, yeah. When, oh. you get, when you're like out of place with a lot of different things, it's a lateral move. It's not like it's like an upscale down, like you didn't mm-hmm. drop down a little bit. Lateral. Yeah. 
Um, I got one more trivia fact for you, if you'll if you're ready for it. Shoot or shoot. When uh, Ethan meets up with uh, the White Widow and they tell them the plan of how they're going to hijack the truck and uh, kidnap uh, Solomon Lane, yeah, we hear we see the dream sequence of him gunning down all the French police. There's a bit of a haze over the entire scene. You may remember a little bit of glossiness. In reality, what happened was during the filming, this was post a terrorist attack in Paris. They put up sheets around the side so they wouldn't the public couldn't see that they're showing a scene of police getting gunned down. And that's what caused the, the glaze and the little blurriness to the scene. And they kept it because they're like, oh, this is perfect. It can double as part of a dream sequence. Interesting. Yes. I did not know that. Where are you finding these, uh, these wonderful trivia bits? This is just what I just – a lot of these come from like IMDb or just me watching like interview after interview with Tom and Chris and them just – and also I have all these movies uh, on like DVD and on iTunes. So they come with the commentary and that's one of them of just being like, uh... oh, that's how we got this. Yeah. Um, I see what you're doing. Oh, yeah. Totally. Um, but what do you think? What is your rating for Mission Impossible Fallout at this moment, the last – uh, available Mission Impossible. I liked it. I liked it a lot. Like I said, it's a great. It, it really dives into that cinematic quality of the Mission Impossible, the more recent Mission recent Mission Impossible series. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm gonna give it a seven, an eight out of ten. Crashing your helicopter into another helicopter. Mm-hmm. Well, what is knocking it down two points for you? I think it's just it. it to me, it's still a series movie. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's hard for me to assign like a higher score to a, a franchise movie. As much as I enjoy them, I still think that like they are slightly getting slightly. Rep- there is a repetition to them. Yep. In a way where it's like okay, we got, we got there's this MacGuffin every time. Mm-hmm. That leads them on a wild goose chase that brings in other people. This time it's the plutonium, but the plutonium comes back in the end as the bombs. True, though I will say uh, as an argument against uh, you on this one, this MacGuffin. I will say is an actual thing, like a known item that we know what it does. True. It's not like the rabbit's foot or um, I'm trying to think. Bella or like, Efron? huh? Was that was that Bella Efron was a? Bella yeah, Efron? I was gonna say uh, no. Yeah, the virus, uh, Chimera, the virus, yeah. from, like the second one. Like you're like it's not this weird MacGuffin that's like, well, what does it do? I I I'll argue with that that it's at least plutonium. So we at least know like, okay, it's a nuclear bomb. Like that's what we're gonna be dealing with. Um, though that does tread water from. Uh, Ghost Protocol, which is all about nuclear bombs as well. See, I feel like at a certain point you use it's like people they use nuclear something, and then all of a sudden it's that's as far as you can go. True, Um, but though, I mean, they can make up like it's going to be a quantum bomb, but then people in the audience are go like, "What is like? What is? How do I compare that to like? Is it bigger than a nuclear bomb?" So, um, I give Mission Impossible Fallout honestly. I'm trying to be like objective. Like because of course I've seen it so many times, but I gotta give it like a ten out of ten. I okay. really think this movie's oh sorry a ten out of ten. Uh, Henry Cavill cocking his fists in a fight. Um, yep. All right. C- yeah. Just because I really think this movie is like perfect. I can't think of truly anything negative that I could knock points off. Um, but like I said, great pacing. The cinematography and the entire thing is fantastic. The action's great. Once again, it's Tom Cruise being like, I'm going to do it. We're going to have a helicopter. And like, I'm going to climb a rope on a helicopter. Like, it's just just the insanity of this movie, I yep. think, is fantastic. Um, but yeah, that's our Mission Impossible series. We are done with the Mission Impossible series. Hard to believe that we've wrapped up all of them. 
yeah, for now. For well, once, yeah. Once seven and eight come out, boom, there's two more episodes. Do we know seven is coming out next year, 2022? Yes. I think they, I know a couple weeks back there was a COVID case, so they had to shut down production. I don't know how much longer they have, excuse me, for their production, but I don't yep. think much. I, I believe they're going to be going into post-production very soon. That's good. So speculated release date right now is end of May 2022 for Mission Impossible 7. Yep. And July 7th, 2023 for Mission Impossible 8. Yeah, I'm not going to be shocked if they do a quick turnaround on production for the next one. Um, just because, like I think we said many times, Tom Cruise is getting up in age. So he's probably just like, I want to get this done. Have it so my ankles can rest. Pay me my money. He's, I don't even think he's really, he does, I think he takes most of it on the back end. I think he takes like very little upfront for his salary and the rest he takes for like a percentage for the movie. He's Especially, smart too. This one almost made $800 million. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rightfully, this movie just great. I really, I just love this movie. My, oh, you know what? I'm not going to take a point off, but the one thing that I don't like that to do is that they, kill henry cavill i wish i would have loved for him to stick around and be yeah. like a recurring villain or like a, i was a, a thorn in their sides mm. oh also he says the first f word in a mission impossible movie in this that that's a knock of the two points for me that took two points off because he says the f word no I, no it's okay <laughs> i was gonna say i'm like what Are you a, a child <laughs> or a very sensitive mother Both. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's ooh, that's a weird situation Yes. But you want to move on from Mission Impossible, move on to the last part of our rundown? Yes, let's, let's keep it rolling. All right. We are going to be talking about episodes five and six of Loki. Uh, episode five, Journey into Mystery, and episode six, For All Time, Always. Um, you want to try and keep them separated, talk one episode, then the next? I think so. I, okay. think, I think it's a good idea. I think... Five flows nicely in, into six, but six mm. does stand alone as like the the ignition point for several other things. True. Um, so let's go episode five, Journey into Mystery. We open with Loki now in the void, uh, greeted by other versions of Lokis. We have a classic Loki played by the wonderful Richard E. Grant. We have a boastful Loki who I'm going to try and find uh, his the actor's name uh, very quickly. Diobia Opere. Thank you very much. You beat me to it. We got a kid Loki, and then we got Alligator Loki, who honestly steals the show, uh, like the entire episode. Um, But in this episode, in the void, we have Loki and the all the Lokis trying to survive. As we learn, as there's this cloud being known as Eliath that just eats everything in front of him. And meanwhile, Loki wants to get out. He wants to find Sylvie, but lo and behold. Sylvie has gone into the void to find Loki. Um, what did you think of episode five? I thought it was really good. I like the addition of all the new Lokis. Mm-hmm. I think it was interesting. Also, like that the understanding and why they're why they're they are there is basically mm-hmm. because like Lokis are who they are and can yep. survive. That's like how they do it. Basically, they can survive this the void. They can deal with the gigantic what I thought was like a dragon. Alioth is really just a cloud monster. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was pretty cool. I think it was. The scene I really liked with the Lokis was their little showdown in Kid Loki's bunker because yep. Kid Loki killed Thor, and that means he's like the Lokiest Loki. Yep. Um, was when like Loki for President Loki comes out, mm-hmm. 
and then alligator Loki just takes his hand off yep it's a I great really, scene oh, oh sorry go ahead i was gonna say i also really just like that especially watching our loki watch it as everyone portrays each other and him just that's him like realizing like is this what like i do like this is all i've known is just backstabbing everybody like it's nice to see that in these short amount of time he's grown past this that he's already like no like like no we could all work together and get out of this but you guys are all like you said i could be in charge no you're not do you think our loki is then like the woke loki he's wokey yeah um no yeah i i think so though we get a little bit of that from the very end with classic loki when he sacrifices himself to keep Elias distracted by making an illusion of uh, asgard which is a very was a nice scene um, but I think, yes, our Loki is definitely the wokest of the Lokis. But I think that comes from his experience of getting to see how his life is meant to play out. Yep. And then seeing these other versions of himself and then in a way seeing like, oh, how similar he are, he is to all of them. We got to see in a, the episode a few back, uh, Lamentis, how he, just him talking to Sylvie and just be like, oh my God, is this like how like Thor feels? This is just so annoying. So I think that's why he's now i'm just keep gonna see keep saying woke but it's because he's like now he's had the chance to look in the mirror and go is this who i want to be like no i i can be better i want to be better and also we have uh right before this episode like he had just lost uh, mobius so he's like lost his uh, kind of first real friend which luckily mobius is alive he's in the void as well he returns yes um love the scene with him and classic loki and the alligator him just like are you sure that's a Loki? And he's like, it's green. Um, and he's like, no, eh, that's right. But he could be lying, though. That's a Loki move if he's lying. And I like uh, the license plate for the pizza car that uh, Mobius was driving. It says green. So people are like, is that just a variant of Loki? <laughs> Loki has a pizza truck. <laughs> pizza Loki. I like that yeah, idea. Exactly. Um, what did you think of their plan of getting into at that time we don't really know what it is but finding whoever's leading the tva by enchanting Elioth. i thought it was an interesting idea i didn't really think it was gonna work that much honestly because mm-hmm. i don't really know how you would that's what made me think dragon because like, oh we can enchant it but it kind of just like an angry cloud yep and i was like so that's a really bold idea to enchant a cloud but give it a go Let well it is a living goes. being yeah, we technically learn... it consumes yes. like matter though yes though i mean we we learn in the next episode and we'll be going into it very shortly, but like that it is a being that was found. It's not something that was created. So that's why I also was like a little like, Oh, they're going to, I kind of hoped when they did enchant it, like the cloud portion of it would disappear. And then we would see like an actual figure though in the comics, Elioth is quite literally, yes, a cloud. So like, I think they did a very good job of at least representing that in the show and trying to give some more form to it. Like it does have those moments where it has like a skull and a face. Um, but yeah, kid Loki now is by himself in the void um, at the end of this episode uh, as classic Loki sacrifices himself and boastful Loki, I think gets killed in the, the brawl. There's alligator Loki. Alligator Loki. Yes. Is there though. I, you know, who knows? Maybe he snuck away at some point. The only um, father figure kid Loki could ever need. Alligator Loki. Um, but yes, this episode ends with uh, Sylvie and Loki going to face off against whoever's leading the TVA or created it, while Mobius goes back to the TVA to uh, burn it all down, as he says. Yeah. Um, 
which now leads us into the season finale of the show, uh, For All Time, Always, where right away, like a minute in, we get a jump scare from Miss Minutes. Uh, yeah. She pops right up. Pops right up. And it was funny watching Miss Minutes in this final episode because, like, she is creepy, but at the same time, you're just like, it's this weird holographic cartoon. Um, but she offers uh, Sylvie and Loki the chance to live the life they want. Loki can rule, and Sylvie can have all these happy memories. Um, but they, I was happy to see them both uh, shoot it down immediately, being like, no, we, we're here for a reason. We, we're going to kill the person in charge of the TVA, which turns out to be... Oh, uh, we're not recording in person, so I'm. I was putting my hands to you. To, uh, oh, thank like, you so much. Yeah, it turns it's out he, to be he who remains. Yes, played by Jonathan Majors, which that is Kang. At least it is just Kang. We don't know it's Kang the Conqueror right now, which we'll go into in a in a moment. But yes, uh, he who remains is behind everything, and he knows everything that's about to happen. Even the conversation of what's about to happen with uh, the two of them. I and love that it was all written down. Like It mm-hmm. called me back to the first episode where it's like, is this everything you've ever said? Sign here. Yep, exactly. That was great. And then it also, it was, it was kind of heartbreaking to see that happen to Loki and Sylvia where they're like, no, we, we got here. And he goes, no, like, I laid the path. Like, you were meant to be here. Like, this isn't by accident. You didn't do anything. that. It, and then he starts, like, saying things like, Oh, like the moment in Lamentis near the, near the the water. Like, yep, I know that. I know all these things. Like, yeah. Um, I loved uh, Jonathan Majors in this. This, I believe, was supposed to be uh, the version of Kang known as Amortis, which is him near his end of a life, his life, where he sits at the end of time, observing observing it all. Which we learn in this, he talks about uh, multiple Kangs met up through the multiverse and caused a war until he found Eliath and used that to destroy all the other multiverses, create one timeline and he created the TVA to try and keep this timeline in check. Yep. Otherwise all the other Kings will arrive and wreak havoc and cause a war. Um, yeah, I think he was fantastic in this episode and I think he did a really good job. He's a little like, kooky but it makes sense because he even himself is like i'm a lot older like i've done like all of this i've seen every scenario like like i I want and he's even like he's like you can kill me or i can walk away from this like i'm up for either what did you think of him i thought it was interesting i think he he monologues a bit which is really nice but i also Mm -hmm. think at the same time like you're saying towards the end of his discussion he doesn't really know where it's going to go next he he says he sets them up to that point we reach our threshold and then yeah yeah and it's nice to see and like i felt that that wasn't a joke and it, it isn't we learned through the episode but like seeing him that shift of him being like oh okay like nope you guys now have to decide i'm in i'm in the blind i don't know what's going to happen next um yeah it, meanwhile in the tva we have mobius goes and confronts renslayer um we learned that the pen from earlier was from her high school that she taught at where she was the principal yep um which was a little bit of like i don't know i was like okay that's like i like that they use that to get the other tva agents to understand like the show like no we're all variants like um but that to me when that pen originally was like shown i thought it would be like a bigger like reveal or something um i think it was revealed the right way because you also have towards the end you like you have that moment that callback to like hunter i think it's b15 yep 
show like pop up like this isn't Renslayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in in the school, which I think is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yep, I liked or maybe not. Li- I thought it was interesting. Renslayer gets away at the end of this episode. She does. She pops through a portal. And we have no idea where she is. Because before that, we see Miss Minutes gives her a file that she did not ask for. And she's like, you should, like, use this. And then she, next thing we know is she's packing files into a bag. And then she walks through this portal. Do you have any idea or speculation as to what she's doing? No. Frankly, I don't. Uh, my speculation is, because in the comics, Renslayer... And Kang, who is he who remains, are like in a relationship. They are frequently working together and sometimes they are in a romantic relationship together. Okay. I think that she is going to his timeline to help him become Kang the Conqueror. Like, I feel like they, she's like giving the files, like, you need to go talk to this guy. And that's essentially going to like cause a loop that makes him become Kang the Conqueror and create uh, TVA. Um, but then, yeah, we have. Uh, that it was that's definitely left to be wide open, but that was my theory. Is what I can, was like. Can I wormhole your please, theory right now? Please. So like, no, I'm not, well, let's see. I'm gonna just I might just make it. I would expand it. So let's say hypothetically, she goes to that variant, that Kang variant's timeline mm-hmm. to help him become Kang the Conqueror. Mm-hmm. Does that mean by the time we meet Kang the Conqueror in Quantumania, which is like four or five, like four movies away at this point? Mm-hmm. That that means that he'll have won the multiversal war, and then we'll meet him there. No, how I think this is going to work is the Kang will meet in Ant Man three will not be the Kang we saw in this episode. That won't okay. be him, um, because if anything, that version of Kang is him near the end of his life, not in the like the beginning or the middle. I think the Kang will meet in uh, Ant Man and the Wasp three will be a Kang early in his career as he's trying to conquer things. I. Because I still think that the TVA is inside the quantum realm because it's the only thing that's like outside of time. We've never had any reason to believe that magic works in there. And also yep. in Ant Man and the Wasp, the director, um, Peyton Reed, you, there's a single shot, but there's a city in there. And he's acknowledged, like, oh, that's like the micro, uh, the quantum like city. That's a real thing in the comics. I think that's what they're going to just use as like the TVA. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if. Ant-Man 3 is them going to the Quantum Realm and then seeing Kang trying to conquer the city to use as the TVA. Um, that's what I just think. Yep. But, like, the next time we're going to see Kang, he's going to be very different, which that's what's also very exciting about the character. Because in the comics, he we frequently see him at multiple stages of his life. Sometimes he knows who he's fighting, sometimes he doesn't. So that's always interesting for the heroes to try and work around, like, oh, does he know about this move I can do? Does he not? Um, but now let's talk Loki and Sylvie, uh, the choice they have to make. Um, they are offered to take over the TVA and keep the work they're doing or kill Kang and create the multiverse and wreak havoc and then have infinite amount of Kang variants running amok. And what happens well, they end up with the, the many Kangs running amok with the super branching timelines. Mm-hmm. Really like the visuals of that, uh, of like the sacred timeline branching out and then just becoming essentially like a white uh, facade over in the background. Yep. Also, the intro to this episode where like all the dialogue from the past movies was playing over and then like zooming out of the universe and all these black holes. I remember watching it and just being like, 
Oh, whoo, here we go. They have like different, I think like Nelson Mandela's vo- like does a voiceover bit. There's like... t- I was trying to like dis- decipher some of it. There's so many different stuff on top of it. It's a lot. Which I bet if there's going to be someone that will release in a couple of days, like every single thing that's said by who and probably like try and be like, this means this, this means that. Um, but yeah, I like that intro. Um, but yeah, Sylvie and Loki fight. Sylvie just wants to end it all. She wants to get rid of uh, he who remains while Loki is trying to be like being reasonable. He's like, no, like we don't we don't know what's going to happen if we get rid of him. Maybe we can try and have one hand on the wheel. And then. I got a little choked up with his scene with when he puts his sword down and he's just like very honest with her. And he's just like, I just want you to be okay. Like, I don't want the throne. I don't want anything anymore. Like, I just, I just want you. And then they kiss and then she sends him off and then she kills he who remains. Kang. Kang. And then I like, this makes me think it, it is like a loop when he, he's like, I'll see you soon. I think that's essentially what happens is like there's always been a sacred timeline. It falls apart. There's a multiversal war. And then it just happens again where a different version of Kang finds Eliath and then starts the TVA and everything all over again. It's entirely possible. Yeah. There's um, the eventuality of it all, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, but then the episode ends with Loki back in the TVA. He goes to find Mobius and B-15 to try and be like, hey, like, here's what happened. I got to explain it all. But things have already changed. Things have already set in place. And now it's no longer the Time Masters, uh, sorry, the Time Keepers statues. It's a statue of Kang. And they don't yep. know who Loki is. And that's how it ended. I kind of loved it. Because then Mobius is there. And I was like, really like, I was like, oh, it's going to be a great reunion. And then he's like, yeah, who are you? You're an analyst, right? Yeah. Like, go, go do your thing. And yeah, I, do your training. Like, what's going on? Even then, still, like, you're an analyst. I was like, oh, like, okay, like, he has a role here. And then it was like, no, nah, he doesn't. He's really kind of, he's in, I think he's just popped back into a random timeline. Yeah, same. I also, when he was like, you're an analyst, I thought that was him, like, just Loki trying to process everything. Like, hey, like, like, relax, man. Like, come on. Like, tell me what's going on. Um, I'm interested to see moving forward, because the end credit isn't even an end credit. It really is just saying there's going to be a second season of, of Loki, which super excited for. Oh, um, yeah. I was kind of, that was kind of like a fear going into the show was that this would be like the end of Loki. Maybe he'd pop in a movie here and there. But getting to know that we'll get a second season of this, I'm just all for it. It's like, wonderful. Keep this going. Which I think this will be kind of the way they'll be trying to build up Kang, because... I'm thinking he's going to be like the the main big bad that they're going to be having for a good chunk of time right now. I'm going to be honest. I always thought Kang was like less of a big deal than he was. And no. now I'm realizing that he's probably like you're saying he's going to be the, either the big bad or he's going to be a significant part of phase four. Mm-hmm. In the comics, Kang is a very form, uh, formidable foe, especially because like it's tough to fight him because sometimes it's like you have to lose because if you beat him here, it can affect other things in time. Um, interesting like, like here's a very this I'm going to try and shorten it down but a weird thing so okay Kang is from the 31st century at one point in his teenage years an adult version of him comes to be like hey this is what you're going to become and the younger version travels to the past to become Iron Lad and then he jo- make, creates the Young Avengers while he's with the Young Avengers at one point Kang returns is like you have to leave because you can't be here any longer because you have to become me and then the Young Avengers and the Avengers fight. But during the fight, everything starts, like, falling apart because they all realize, like, oh, he does have to go back. Like, he can't stay here because if he stays here, Kang doesn't become who he is and things don't fall in place. So, like, 
I love that's why I like Kang as a character because it because re- even like in this episode like he's got everything planned out and like it's tough to beat him because it's like what do you do when he knows what's going to happen? Yeah. Um, so yeah, he's just a really interesting character. I'm so excited to see what they'll do next season with him. Um, yeah, I didn't think it was going to end that way, and I was kind of hoping for like another end credit scene, maybe something to like give a little more information, but. They kept me wanting more, and I'm definitely, excuse me, excited to see where this goes. Agreed. I did feel like this this episode ended a little bit less. It's definitely climactic, but mm-hmm. it felt a lot slower than the other mm-hmm. some of the other episodes, which is fine. I think they did have they wrapped it up in like a very they wrapped it up with a like a nice bow, but mm-hmm. left the bow very open ended. But this is uh, one of the shortest episodes. That's so that's the other thing I caught on to is I paused it part way through just like grab more water, and I was like. This episode is, is super short. Though I will say it didn't feel that way. I thought for such a short episode and how much of it was like Kang talking. Yep. I didn't feel like it was a lot of exposition. I didn't feel like things weren't moving forward. I was captivated the entire time because he was such a mysterious character and like just how he acted everything. I really was just like, okay, what's going like, what's happening? Like what is ugh, what's the what's going to happen? Um, what is next? Yeah. Yeah, just this was great. Um, what do you want to give the first season of Loki overall? I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10 Loki daggers. Okay. Uh, what is knocking off that one point for you? I just wanted more. I think mm-hmm. 6 was really short. 6 episodes is really, really short for the first season of a TV show, especially one around such a, like an interesting character mm-hmm. with such a premise like of the TVA and of the multiverse. Like, exactly. And variants and all these different things that they're introducing for the first time. Mm-hmm. Six felt too short. If yep. it was eight, I might be more comfortable giving it a higher score, even just keeping it at nine, but with the knowledge, obviously it was paced fantastically. I don't feel like they missed out on anything along the way with six episodes, but if you had one, I just feel like I wanted a little bit more out of the first season mm-hmm. to put it all together. And I know that these, the Marvel shows have been kind of short, not super long, mm-hmm. but where you have Loki, which didn't really, it felt like suspenseful thriller, very dark shot. Almost honestly, it felt like they just like it has with all the other Marvel shows. They're just chunking up a movie and giving mm-hmm. it to giving us one piece a week. I just would have wanted to see that differently. Yep. Uh, I agree with everything you say. Um, I also probably would have liked more, but I think a problem that the Netflix shows had was they had so many episodes that by the end of the run, you were like, those two episodes right there, they could have cut. Like, there's nothing that ever happened. So that's yep. like, I think, I think that's also why they're being so cautious with like, we'll do six episodes. The only reason WandaVision's nine is because a bunch of the episodes are 30 minutes. Um, because they're like, if we do too much, people will then go, this episode, nothing really happened. Um, which I'll say, I feel like in, maybe the only episode that like, at the end of this, that's like the weakest, is episode four, the Nexus event, where... Like, the only big thing that really happens there is at the very end when we learn that the timekeepers are androids and they're not really in charge. Other than that, like... True, but... Things are... I was gonna say, things are kind of just... Everything that learned in that episode, we, the audience, already know because we just watch Mobius and B-15 accept that they're variants, but that's something that we knew the episode before. Um, so that's why I feel like, for me, kind of stands still a little bit, but... Okay. I think I'm gonna give the entire series... What did you give it? Nine? You gave it a nine? Nine out of ten. You know, 
I think I'll also give it a 9 out of 10. I'll give it a 9 out of 10 of, well, what if I am a robot? Um, just, I think I'm knocking that last point off. Similar to you, like, I would have liked a little bit more. Yeah. Though I'm not like, this was, there was so little oh, they gave us. I, I really, this show, I think, out of all the Marvel shows, I think was the best because they did a great job of giving us breadcrumbs to move along. There were definitely some like red herrings of things. Like I remember one of the theories was, or at least that I had was that there was going to be multiple Mobiuses. That's why there were so many rings on the coffee thing, Um, which that didn't pan out. There was just the one Mobius. Um, But I think the show had like really decent pacing. They kept us along the entire time and there really wasn't anything that I would say was like a weak part. Yeah. Like I look at like Falcon and the Winter Soldier, um, who were uh, the Flag Smashers. Like they really didn't get too much time to shine. And then by the end, you had to kind of make them make a heel turn and be like, okay, now we're like really bad and we're going to attack civilians. It's like, okay, like I get where you guys are trying to get yourselves, but it feels a little too rushed. I feel like this show throughout knew what it wanted to do had a great pacing and then yeah it, not it enough didn't throg. leave a ton of like it didn't like there's not many things just floating out there that weren't either like addressed in the like the ending episodes or anything mm-hmm. else i mean the one thing that i was hoping for is that mobius would get a jet ski yep i was really hoping for that but yeah. he didn't everyone was hoping for that um it's unfortunate it is who knows but hey we now there'll be a season two so maybe season two will have mobius on a jet ski that would be awesome yeah but this show, I think out of all the shows, this one definitely, I think, was the best and has me most excited for more. Yes, we know that Wanda will be appearing in Doctor Strange. Yes, we know Falcon, sorry, Captain America will be having a new movie with uh, Anthony Mackie. They've already announced that. But like this one, hearing that there's going to be a second season, I was like, fuck yeah, let's that, go. I didn't actually know that they were doing a second season, so I think it's really great. That's how, that's how they announced it. it. Nothing had been announced until that little... Because also, uh... that end credit, how it opens, it had a file. It was showing his file. I thought the end credit was going to be, like, him getting essentially put through Closed. the system. Ag- no, I thought it was going to be him getting like, put through the system again, like, because they're like, who is this guy? And they had to write down, like, Loki, Loki, something. Like, all this. I thought it was going to be, like, another scene like that of him trying to explain things. Uh... But, I was, but I was a little happy that it, or, like, maybe not happy, because I wanted to have a nice end credit scene. But it was, I was so happy to see that stamp and it just go, Loki, return in season two. I was just like, oh, my God, that, thank you great something to look forward to absolutely no idea when the second season will be uh i think though i wouldn't be shocked if it like appeared like premiered next fall because i think fall 2022 that's what i think just because they they'll want i feel to get that series out before quantum manium comes or around the same time Yep. Because that's about that's gonna have Kang. This show now is ended on Kang is the villain. So I feel like they'll want to get more so we can have an idea of the character moving forward. Because otherwise I have of course they could put it whenever they want, but it's just like nah, like I feel it's gonna be sooner than later. Definitely. Yeah. But that was Loki. <sighs> Thank you, Tom Hiddleston. it's an incredible show. Oh, also, this is like a side thing. Hit the song he sings in Lamentus, that uh, like Scandinavian song. He's on the Billboard Top 100 now because of that song. 
Good for him. Yeah. So maybe he'll egot just from that. <laughs> well, he's he would still need an Oscar, a Tony, and an Emmy. Well, this show could be nominated for an, an Emmy next no, cycle. Next cycle, yes. Oh, super quick. I know we're running long in this episode. Don Cheadle being nominated for an Emmy for his appearance in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Did you I, hear yeah, about this? I haven't even seen it yet. I think I saw him tweet something, but that was it. He was nominated for guest appearance on a show. He's in it for two minutes. The entire that was an award category. I think it might be new. That or That's it's weird. But yeah, he he was nominated. It's two minutes, and it's just crazy because it's like he doesn't do a bad job, but the, like Rhodey doesn't do anything even in the, those two minutes. Thirty seconds of it is him watching Sam do a speech. And then the rest is him and Sam just walking like, oh, you sure you should have given up the shield? Like, it's funny, but I, a lot of people were saying they think what happened was Marvel submitted him yeah. for a nomination. And that the people who see the nominations just saw Don Cheadle and said, oh, he's great. Yeah, like, they didn't see what he was nominated him for. In. Exactly. So they're just like, oh, Don Cheadle, yeah, he probably did a great job. It's, That's funny. I do enjoy that Don Cheadle even is like, I don't know why I got nominated, but hey, like, let's... Like, I'm, I'm happy about I'm it. I'm here now, right? Exactly. Um, but yeah. Hey, Scuba, do you want me to tell the people where they can find us? No, I mean, I, I want you to tell people where they can find us. Oh, they can find us in a boatload of places. They can find us on Instagram at Shane and Scuba Steve Show. They can find us online at www.theshaneandscubastheveshow.com. If you've got Spotify, if you've got Apple Podcasts, I think if you've got Google Play, you can find us there. And if you're there, why don't you subscribe? Why don't you give us a like? Why don't you write a review? You give us five stars, we'll think about giving you five stars. But we won't start thinking about it until you give us our five stars. We could just give five stars randomly. We could, as a raffle. Ooh, five stars for what, though? That's the question. Um, Friendship. Perfect. Five-star friendship. Yes. All right. That's the show. That's our show. See you guys next week. Later.